0: Welcome to the Mulcahy Law Firm Podcast. For over 25 years, Mulcahy Law Firm has helped plan communities and condominium associations throughout the state of Arizona. Please go to iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you for listening. Here's Beth Mulcahy. Hi, everybody. Good morning and welcome to our 2023 Virtual HOA Condo Academy, our fourth class of 2023. And we're going to be talking today about how to best handle difficult owners and difficult boards. So good morning and welcome to our fourth class of the 2023 Virtual HOA and Condominium Academy. And we teach these classes in partnership with the cities of Avondale, Chandler, Glendale, Goodyear, Mesa, Peoria, Phoenix, Scottsdale, Surprise, and Tempe. My name is Beth Mulcahy, and I'm the managing partner and senior attorney for the Mulcahy Law Firm. My law practice is based in Phoenix, Arizona, and I've enjoyed representing over 1,000 HOAs and condominiums in the state of Arizona for over 26 years. I also currently serve on my board for uh, my HOA, and I have for many years. Before we dive into the meat of the seminar that we're going to be talking about today, I'd like to just start off by getting a feel for who's with us today in attendance so that I can tailor the information to best serve all of you. So we're gonna be launching two polls right now. If you're joining us on Facebook Live, what I'd like you to do is just answer this question in the comment section of Facebook Live. If you're here on Zoom, you can just click the two poll questions, the answer that best suits you. So the question is, in which city do you reside? So we've given you a number of different options. And then let us know your current role with your association. While we're waiting for those poll results to come up, let's talk a little bit about what we're going to be on our agenda today. In today's class, I'm going to provide a summary of the HOA and condo bills that have been introduced this year in the Arizona legislature. And we're only going to be talking about the bills that actually have a possibility of of being passed this year. And then we're going to talk about The best way to handle difficult owners and also difficult boards, um, which is a very popular class topic. And I'm hoping that we have a a good representation of people here today. It looks like, actually, we already have 73 people on Zoom and um, a number of others of you are joining us on Facebook Live. So that's awesome. While we're waiting for the poll results to come in, what I'm going to do, actually, I think I can look at it real quickly. Let's see here. On our poll results, it looks like we have 2% today from Avondale. 10% from Chandler, 6% from Glendale, 6% from Goodyear, 12% from Mesa, 8% from Peoria, 22% from Phoenix, 29% from Scottsdale, and 4% from Surprise. I think this is the first time in the time that I've been teaching all these classes that we have had every single group of associations in the different cities that we teach these classes for represented today. So I just want to give a big shout out to the Neighborhood Services too, um, from all of these different cities that you have found a way to get your residents every single city represented here today. So that's awesome. Congratulations. And the second poll question that I have is, let us know your current role with the association. And it looks like we have 69% our board members that are joining us here today. 20% are community managers. That's higher than usual too. And then 12% are interested to homeowners. So wonderful to have all of you here with us here today. It looks like we have you know a pretty higher representation of the board side and the management side versus the homeowner side. So we'll be spending an equal amount of time on, on both topics, dealing with difficult owners and then also how to best deal with a difficult board. So, again, let's just start out by talking a little bit about what's going on in our Arizona legislature right now, just as an introductory remarks. As you may know, the Arizona legislature started on Monday, January 9th. Our firm has been closely watching all of the bills that pertain to HOAs and condominiums in Arizona that have been introduced and have been moving to committees. Interestingly, every legislative year kind of has a different theme, so to speak, right? 2020 was a COVID. It was kind of what they call the skinny budget. It was a quick legislative session. Really 2021 and 2022 also were not what I would call, they introduced a lot of bills pertaining to associations in 2022, but ultimately we didn't get that many that ultimately passed and made that big of a difference in our industry. This year, we had a lot of bills that were introduced again. However, it appears that we're kind of starting to slow down in the legislature. And it appears that um, I think this week, uh, somebody on my team told me that there weren't going to be new meetings this week down at the legislature and that things were kind of in a quiet pattern to work on the budget. But it has been a busy legislative session up to this week. And so we're guessing that the budget... You know, we're in very serious negotiations for the Arizona state budget. And, you know, it's likely that this year the legislature will close sometime, possibly in mid-May or the end of May. Interestingly, the governor, our new governor, has vetoed a total of 48 bills. That's a lot of bills being vetoed. And so I guess, what does that mean? I kind of, you know, in my opinion, is that the new governor is looking to only pass bills, doesn't want a bunch of extraneous bills and is being very careful about what she's signing into law. So we we do have a couple of bills that have been now signed by the governor and a couple that have been vetoed by the governor and a couple that the governor is sitting on right now to make a decision. So I'm not exactly sure what the exact date is that this bill was signed by the governor If my office, could add that to, to my notes here, that would be great. But Senate Bill 1049, this bill was recently signed by the governor. When I checked late yesterday, it hadn't been signed. So I'm assuming it was either signed late yesterday or early this morning. And this bill talks about the Betsy Ross flag. I I honestly do not see this bill as being a big impact bill on HOAs and condominiums. But it basically would say that an association in Arizona cannot ban any historic version of the American flag, including the Betsy Ross flag, without regard to how the stars and stripes are arranged in the flag. And of course, this bill applies to both planned communities and the condominiums. And so just kind of an interesting bill. I have no idea what prompted somebody in the legislature to introduce this bill. Probably somebody had a problem with their HOA or their condominium, and they wanted to fly the Betsy Ross flag, and the HOA or condominium said that they couldn't. So that's how we get a new bill like this. Um, And again, this has been signed by the governor. The next bill was vetoed by the governor, but it got right up to the finish line and and was vetoed by the governor. This bill was talking about home-based businesses and that this bill would make a home-based business would have to be allowed as a use by right. It's a home-based business, did not supersede any of the deed restrictions like the CC&Rs for the association. And it just was kind of an interesting bill that was vetoed this year. So there's no new bills on home-based businesses that passed this year because our governor vetoed it. There are two other bills that we're monitoring that are sitting on the governor's desk right now. And this would be um, House Bill 2298. And it talks about public roadways in a planned community. And this bill would require any planned community whose declaration was reported before January 1st, 2015. And that same association would have to regulate the roadway for which the ownership had been has been dedicated to or is otherwise held by a governmental agency or entity. Um, the existing regulations would continue in effect until either of the following two things occur. So let's just back it up a little bit. In order for this bill sitting on the governor's desk, it only applies to planned communities who had a declaration that was recorded before January 1st, 2015. And it only applies to a planned community that has ownership of their roads that have been dedicated to or held by a governmental agency or entity. Usually that's going to be like the city or the county. So basically what this bill says is that if you meet all those criteria, no later than June 30th, 2025, the planned community has to hold a vote of the membership on the question of whether to continue to regulate the public roadways. So this is kind of a hot topic right now because In some associations, the streets are dedicated to the public or to an entity is responsible for maintaining them other than the association, so the city or the county. But interestingly, the association still has the ability to regulate the roads, even though they are dedicated to the city. And so basically, what that means is that no later than June 30th, now the planned community needs to hold a vote of the membership on the question of whether to continue to regulate the public roadways, and its number of owners voting on the question is sufficient to constitute a quorum of the membership, and a majority of that number votes to continue regulating public roadways in the planned community, then the association retains the right to regulate parking in these associations, even though the streets are dedicated to public. And the board has to record in the office of the county recorder, and of the county in which the planned community is located, a document confirming that the planned community continues to regulate the public roadways. If, however, the vote in paragraph one fails, or if the planned community just decides, hey, we're not going to hold a vote of the membership to determine whether or not we should continue regulating the public roadways, then the planned community no longer has the authority to regulate public roadways in a planned community. And then any existing regulations that would be in the CCNRs would expire. So if the governor signs this bill, some things to think about. Is it even possible that we can get a vote of the membership on this? Because to get a quorum for a vote like this is going to be borderline impossible. And from my perspective, I would say that you're not going to get a quorum and you're very unlikely going to get people to vote yes on this whether or not you're gonna spend the money to have a vote on this. People like to park on the streets. This is a way by the legislature to open up the parking on the streets. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens on this particular bill. Um, The next bill that is sitting on the governor's desk is uh, HOA's political activity. This is House Bill 2301. This bill would prevent an association from restricting an owner from conducting door-to-door political activity including solicitations of support or opposition regarding candidates and or ballot issues and may not prohibit a unit owner from circulating political petitions, including candidate nominate nomination petitions or petitions in support of or opposition to an initiative, referendum or recall or other political issue. And so this bill applies to planned communities and condominiums too. We're just going to have to wait and see what our governor does on that. If it does pass, associations cannot pro- prohibit an owner from doing door-to-door political activity. And it could be on, like I said, candidate or ballot issues. It could be circulating political petitions. I don't know how that will play out if this does pass. Last year, we had a bill that passed and was signed by the governor that allowed owners to put up political signs regarding association issues while the board is voting on, or excuse me, while the homeowners are voting on this issue in the community. So when, once the ballot goes out, And then until a few days after the ballot, you know, had to be returned and the vote is conducted. Um, And we haven't really seen that many owners taking advantage of that, putting up vote for Johnny Appleseed for president of board or recall the board with, you know, a sign on their property. So I don't know if this will have that big of an impact on door to door solicitations by owners or not, but we'll we'll definitely keep an eye on it. A couple of things to think about. I, I got the date that the bill on the Betsy Ross flag was signed that was signed on March 30th. And just as a just to close the loop on that, we're watching the bill on public roadways, like I said, and political activity, and then the bill on home-based businesses was vetoed by our governor. Okay. Each week that the legislature is in session, our firm posts an updated summary of all the bills that we're monitoring in the 2023 Arizona legislature. I spent a little more time today than I usually do talking about these bills because we're getting closer and closer to the end of the legislative session. And now is kind of what I call game time. Now is the time that we will start seeing significant activity on whether or not these bills are going to pass this year. So if you're interested in in staying up to date, every week while the legislature's in session, we're posting our updates um, of the summary of pending HOA and condominium bills. It's right on the homepage of our webpage at MulcahyLawFirm.com. And you can stay up to date with that. Now, once the legislative session ends for 2023, we'll be putting out our final legislative summary for 2023, and that will also be on the homepage of our webpage shortly after the legislature closes for the year in 2023. And like I said, I don't know when that's gonna be, probably sometime in mid-May, but we'll keep you updated if anything speeds up or slows down on that. Okay, let's shift gears and talk about difficult owners and difficult boards. How do we manage that? Um, Just a quick check-in, we have 99 people with us here today on Zoom. And we have additional of you joining us here today on Facebook Live. Thank you so much for being here today, caring about your communities and wanting to get some strategies on how to deal with difficult situations like difficult homeowners and difficult board members. So let's start out first and find out just a quick poll question to make sure I didn't put you all to sleep talking about our pending bills in the legislature. Our third poll question today is, does your association have a difficult owner? So if you're on Zoom with us today, you can go ahead and fill out the poll. If you're joining us on Facebook Live, I'd ask that you please just put your answer in the comments section on um, Facebook Live so that we see your response as well. Okay, so we're going to be closing the poll here shortly, and I'll give you our results on it. It looks like 85% of you here today are dealing with a difficult owner in your community. That's like crazy. 8% of you are not. Lucky you. And 10% don't know if you have a difficult owner or not. Just the fact that 85% of you here today are managing a situation with a difficult owner right now just reaffirms to me that this class is so important. So maybe you're the only board member that's listening in today, or maybe your whole board's here. I don't know if it's that big of a problem. One thing that you could do to share with your board to help you navigate the difficult owner is to take a look at our cheat sheet called Dealing with Difficult People and Harassment. This is a quick three-minute read that you could just forward in an email. All of our cheat sheets are on our website at mulcahylawfirm.com. You just click on the Cheat Sheets tab, type in the keywords, difficult owner, and it will give you a, a direct link to the cheat sheet. That cheat sheet is just a great tool and resource for you to go back to after a frustrating board meeting or after you've received your 30th email from the difficult owner demanding something. And it's a, a good summary of what we're gonna be talking about here today. So a couple things to think about. Remember that being a good communicator sometimes will help diffuse a difficult owner. And so having good communication skills and running business-like open board meetings will hopefully create an atmosphere that is perceived as being not the boards, not acting in secret, they're open, they're transparent. And hopefully if you're as a board, if you are communicating well with your owners and you are having open board meetings and being transparent and being nice and listening to your homeowners, giving them an opportunity to air grievances and concerns and answering questions and responding to phone calls, management companies responding to phone calls is very important. In a timely manner, that you're not going to have too many difficult or upset owners. But just by the statistics that we saw today with the informal poll and based upon my representation over a thousand associations in Arizona, I can tell you that a great majority of associations just have one or two people that cause all of their grief and all of their problems. And I said at the beginning of the presentation, I currently serve on my board. And we are not immune to it either. In our association, we have one, one or two people that literally give us all our grief. I mean, I would say 20 to 25% of the time that I spend on board issues is dealing with this one particular owner. And that, that's sad. And so, and it's frustrating and upsetting. So I really do sympathize with you as you're navigating these problems. And my goal today is to give you some suggestions on How best to manage this? And one of the first things I'm going to say is there has to be a level of acceptance. And by that, I mean there are some things we cannot fix. There are some people that have mental illness. There are some people that just like to be angry and upset. That's their personality type. And if you have one of those people, you may not be able to turn that person around. And then you need to go to the skills of how do I best manage that situation and that person so that it doesn't cause our manager to quit or cause board members to get burned out and want to quit. So just some things to think about is we cannot control. Well, first, let's talk about how do we deal with the upset homeowner when they come to you? You know, and this could be really anything. From my perspective, I've been walking around our neighborhood and somebody lambasts me with how they're so upset about something that the board is currently thinking about doing. What I try to do and what I think is a really good suggestion is First, just listen to their complaints. Don't interrupt them. Let them get it out, why they're upset, so that you can best understand. You know, remain professional, even if they are not professional and they're screaming and yelling at you or they're, they have their facts wrong or they're accusing you of something that the board hasn't done. Control your responses and try to just respond to the problem. Stay calm and focused um, on the facts and try to come up with a standard reaction. So what I typically do when somebody comes to our board and they're upset about something, you know, we let them talk, we don't interrupt them. And then what I try to do is restate. So if I understand correctly, after listening to you, you're upset about the increase in the assessment rate or whatever the issue is. You're upset about a parking space being taken away. You're upset about the violation letter that you received and try to reiterate it back to them just so that you make sure that you're really getting and that they understand that you understand what the issue is. Stay calm. Don't get into yelling match with them. If they are raising their voice, you need to stay calm. If they're getting out of control, what you might want to say something like, I understand how upset you are about the situation, but I can't help you Unless we can calm down and talk rationally. And maybe today isn't a good day. You know, maybe we need to set up a time when maybe you've had a chance to reflect on this a little bit and be a little bit calmer. Usually that gets them to stop with the raised voices and the yelling. Remember that you cannot control another individual's abusive behavior, but you can control your response to it so that you don't make a tense situation worse. If they start to cross over into harassment, We need to just firmly say that that isn't going to be allowed. We're not going to have people standing up and pointing fingers and screaming and yelling. And that's not going to be something that we allow. We won't continue with this meeting if you do that. Also, if they cross the line and like, let's say, you know, they knock on your door and they try to do this in front of your family or something, you just say, I'm sorry, I'm closing my door right now. This is not the appropriate place to be contacting me. A couple of thoughts on what's the best way to, you know, handle the difficult owner. Let's talk about the difficult owner first. So, you know, sometimes owners can be really outspoken about how much they dislike the management or how much they dislike the board or maybe a vendor of your association. Sometimes you have the really difficult owner. We call them a gadfly, and that person is like an expert at criticizing everything. Right? They like to pinpoint the errors of others they demand change they interrupt they attack personal integrity they claim that there's conflicts of interest or the board's are behaving inappropriately and sometimes these people come to a board meeting so let's talk about what's the best way to handle it if they're coming you know to a board meeting the best way to handle it is to at the beginning of the meeting announce how the meeting's going to be run at the beginning of the meeting so that everybody understands okay these are the ground rules for the meeting And every association is going to have different ground rules. You know, if you have very few people coming, you may not put a time limitation on how long people speak during the homeowner forum. Um, If you have a lot of people that are present and want to talk, you may say, okay, here are the ground rules for this meeting. Looks like we have asked people how many people would like to say something during the homeowner forum. And the homeowner forum is typically the time, you know, right at the beginning of the meeting where we allow owners an opportunity to say whatever they want to say, it came to the meeting, maybe didn't mention something, ask how many people are there that want to contribute. And then you can also ask how many of you would like to say something today. And if it's 10 people and you only have 10 minutes for it, then you say, okay, about a minute each person. What you may want to say at the beginning is, if this person's come to the meeting before and is yelling and screaming, please, everybody needs to stay calm, no raise voices, If somebody crosses over into that, we will ask you to leave the meeting. Establish, you know, enforce the meeting procedures, whatever you establish, um, whether it's no name calling, no yelling, uniformly. So if you have somebody that does it, you know, and you ask them to leave and somebody does it again, you gotta do the same procedure for that person. Establish control. As you move into the board meeting, the board president has a really important role in running the board meeting. They are responsible for making sure that the meeting moves forwards, you know, smoothly, that we stay on a time schedule. And if you have somebody in the audience who's not on the board, who is constantly interrupting the meeting by speaking out and raising irrelevant issues or whatever, that person, you know, you need to go back to what the ground rules were. You're not allowed to interrupt the meeting While the meeting is in progress, the only time that you're allowed to speak during this meeting is during the homeowner forum, which we've already had, or before the board takes formal action on anything. So anytime that there's a motion to second and the board's going to vote on it, homeowners should be allowed to discuss, make a comment during the um, discussion period before the board takes a vote on something. But they shouldn't be allowed to just interrupt the meeting throughout the meeting if it's causing a problem. And again, you know your board and your association best. If you have a small board, a 5-member board, let's say a 3-member board and only one board member or non-board member comes to the meeting, it may be okay to have that non-board member interject occasionally as long as they're being reasonable and it's rational and behavior by the non-owner by the non-board member owner. But if you've got a crowd of 50 people in addition to the board, you can't just let this meeting turn into a free-for-all. So the board president is responsible for making sure that, you know, we have good behavior by the owners in the meeting and giving them the opportunity if they want to before the board takes formal action on something. Okay. So how do we handle it when there's like an insult or an attack on the board at a board meeting, whether it's during the homeowner forum, or maybe even before the board takes formal action to vote on something, we need to have your calmest, most rational person on the board handling these difficult communications with owners, um, with the gadfly specifically. And that almond Rational board member needs to just respond in a modulated, non-argumentative voice. Don't respond with anger. Don't argue with this person because that just charges them up and jazzes them up to take it to the next level of the argument. Don't trade insults. We do not have to rebut the comments of any member. I recently saw a communication actually on a Facebook page for an association where I saw some kind of unprofessional behavior by somebody who represented the the board. Basically, it was a committee member. And it was basically like, if you don't like it here, move. And that's not the attitude that we should be portraying as a board, right? We, Even though we're not paid Even though serving on the board is rewarding at times, I think we can all agree it is a challenge and at times it can be a hassle. And so when they wear you down, when the gadfly wears you down and you're fired, you want to make sure you've got that self-control button in play and that you don't lose it, that you don't get angry, upset, trade insults, stoop to their level, argue. It doesn't make sense. So it's best to say nothing if you feel that you can't respond in a professional manner. So let's say that somebody gets up in the homeowner forum and they say, this board member is in cahoots with ABC landscaping company. I saw the landscaper for the association and this board member, and you know, I saw them handing money to each other or something like that. Or I've looked at the financials and I think that the board is misappropriating funds because we have no money. The best way to handle something like that is to respond back, like especially misappropriating money. Thank you for coming today. I can assure you that there is no misappropriation of funds in the association. I would recommend that you review the financials of the association. You review our audit that's done by an independent auditor. And if after reviewing all that information, you still have questions, you know, you're welcome to put your specific arguments in writing and we'll take a look at them. Sometimes you just don't respond at all. You just say, Thank you for being here. Thank you for your comment. And in some cases, you just have to say to the people that are there who are listening, you know, that is not an accurate statement. It has just been made by this owner. I welcome anybody to come and look at the records to see the facts that support that that is not an accurate statement. Also, the president who's running the meeting when you've got the gadfly. Use parliamentary control because knowing when to table a motion, postpone a motion, give a matter to a committee, and limit the debate is really a skill that you need to hone and work on as the president. I attend a lot of board meetings where there's the discussion just goes like in a big circle, and we spend like maybe like 15 or 20 minutes too long discussing an issue. And so getting the pulse of how. The board feels about an issue is important. So let's say that you're introducing something to redesign the common area of the clubhouse. You're not going to make a decision on it that day because you can tell that the board's divided. We can't agree on a plan. We can't agree on how much money to spend, whatever. Just introduce the topic, get a perspective of the views, and then come up with an action plan. So the board president may want to say something like, I noticed that there's been some healthy debate on this topic and I think we need to go back to the drawing board and come back to the next board meeting with another plan maybe or some options on how we can pay for this. Just summarize kind of what the action plan is. So, okay, we talked about this a little bit. doesn't look like we're going to make a decision today. Maybe we, we give it to a committee. You know, maybe the homeowner that's there complaining, the gadfly the most, asks them to be on the committee um, and ask them to roll up their sleeves and help the board's fighting, maybe we put both sides of the dispute on the committee so that um, they can really analyze all angles of whatever issue we're debating. Another skill set that I want to talk about is how to respond in a difficult situation. So when we're dealing with a, a difficult person, sometimes they come in and they are just upset about 50 things. But really, there's only one thing that they really want done. And so what I typically will do is when somebody comes in and they're very upset, sometimes it's that the first upset is that the management company never returns my phone calls or I've been emailing about this problem in the common areas for three months and never get a response and it's still not fixed. And so let's kind of analyze how we can handle that type of a situation. So first ask the owner to explain the exact issue that they want help on. If there's multiple issues, address one issue at a time. Listen carefully. Don't interrupt them, as I said before. After they explain what they're upset about, agree with any truth in the complaint, so long as it's accurate. So if we made a mistake on something, apologize for the mistake. If the manager isn't returning phone calls or not responding to emails, restate what the policy of the board is on this and say, we're going to look into that because that's not acceptable. We want to make sure that our homeowners feel heard if you need a minute to compose yourself, let's say that they just went off on how everything is going horrible. I know just when I was the president of my association and somebody would come in and they would be really negative about how things are going. I'm not going to lie to you. I felt bad. It hurt my feelings actually. And I had to kind of take a minute and just remember that it wasn't an attack on me. It was just their feeling that things weren't going well. And I needed to listen and see if there was any truth to what they said, and then come up with a non-argumentative response back that hopefully could answer their question, satisfy their question or satisfy whatever they needed and give a, a good professional business-like response to everybody else who is listening. Who may This may be their first meeting that they've ever been to in your association. And they may not know that this owner is difficult and comes to the meeting and harasses you every meeting. So if you lose it at that one meeting, when you respond, it makes you look bad, right? And so if you need a minute to compose yourself, do that. Tactfully defend yourself if there needs to be a defense, but respond to the problem and tell them you understand their frustration. And if an apology needs to be given, apologize. At that point, the other party may calm down And they may actually be receptive to hearing the information. Ask the homeowner what they want. You know, what exactly do you want here? What they're probably going to say on the examples I've given you is, I want to get a response to my email or my phone call to know that they received it. I want the sprinkler that has been dumping water into my yard that's broken, fixed. And so once the problem's been stated and understood, tell them how we're going to handle the problem and then make sure that it's actually done. Follow up with the manager to make sure that they're responding. Maybe even the president needs to be copied on it to make sure that it's actually done. And then follow up again to make sure that the problem is fixed. And usually that'll diffuse the angry, upset, or difficult owner. Occasionally, you have you know a situation where somebody just wants to fight. They just come to the meeting to fight. They're angry type person. They're that's their personality type. They're negative. They just want to fight. Resist the urge to fight because you—we're not. nobody's winning an argument here at these meetings. Basically, we're just trying to solve problems for our community. So listen and ask questions if you don't understand what they're saying. If they're totally irrational, then I think what you just say is, I heard what you had to say today and I appreciate you for being here. And then move on to the next topic because sometimes... Especially even when you're dealing with somebody who has mental illness, there's nothing you can say that can make the situation better. And so you just need to be nice, professional, and move on to the next topic. Let's talk a little bit about interboard problems, right? So how do we handle problems where there's conflicts during the meeting between the board, like board member to board member conflict? It's sad when I see this, but it's also there's an element of, okay, this isn't all bad because... Having a board that rubber stamps everything and every decision is five to zero, everybody's saying yes, 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 and everything, it may not give the full analysis of certain things that need to be done in your association or vetting contractors or vetting problems and coming up with solutions if everybody just rubber stamps everything. So having somebody on the board who's maybe a board member fly isn't always a bad thing. It is if it's limiting your ability to get things done. And it is a bad thing if it's frustrating people to the point that the board wants to quit or the manager wants to quit. So think about what are some ways that we can limit board member conflict. So one thing that I hear from board members is that some board members who are on the opposite side of an issue of the rest of the board, they feel like they are never heard, like they don't get a chance to state their opinion adequately. So make sure that you're giving that person a reasonable amount of time. Um, You know, they shouldn't be taking over the meeting, but giving them a reasonable amount of time to say what they feel is important to to say about a subject. If this person is really long-winded, who's a problem on your board, think about putting time restrictions in place as to how long they can... How long they can contribute or give their comments. And it has to be reasonable. Like, you shouldn't say, okay, you get 30 seconds because that's probably not enough time. You know, maybe a minute or two, people should be able to get out their thoughts within a minute or two. Um, allow follow-up discussion on a topic after all board members have been given an opportunity to speak. Something that I see at board meetings that I, I know have to chuckle a little bit because... I'm a little bit on the outside. I'm not personally involved in the board because I don't live in an association, right? When I'm their legal counsel. So sometimes I go to board meetings and I see um, there's like maybe one or two dominant board members. And so there's a hot topic that the board's discussing and maybe one board member says something and then that dominant board member says something and then another board member says something and then that dominant board member wants to counter that. And so, one thing that I I like doing is saying, okay, let's give everybody an opportunity to speak once before somebody gets a chance to talk a second time. And that's a good way to kind of manage that dominant board member who wants to comment on everything in sight at a board meeting. Encourage mentoring of new board members by having somebody take the new board member under their wing and say, okay, here's how the board meeting runs. And here's our big issues that we're facing right now. And here's some goals that we have for 2023. And if you ever have any questions, reach out to me. I'm kind of your big sister or big brother on board, and I can help you if you have any questions. Using a censure to enforce bad behavior by a board member, I think is an effective tool. So if you have a board member that is violating your code of conduct for your association, we have a great cheat sheet on our website on code of conducts. We recommend code of conducts for boards just as a way for the boards to, you know, be aware of their fiduciary responsibilities to the community and to the association, the corporate entity. And it's a good reminder of all the things that you should and shouldn't be doing as a board member. Um, If somebody violates that, having a vote to censure that board member is appropriate (laughs) you know, get advice from your attorney. If you have a difficult situation on your board and there's a high level of dysfunction, our firm goes into board meetings all the time to work with boards to try to communicate about their problems, to air grievances, to understand differences, to understand personality types that might be contributing to differences between board members and to come up with goals and to put aside our differences so we can move forward for the reason why we're on the board, which is to improve the community, to make the community better. You know, and when I do one of these boot camps or I'm talking to a board about dysfunction within the board, I always say that, listen, we're all on this board for the same reason. We love our community. We wanna make it better. We wanna see things get done. We wanna improve our community. We may not all agree on how to do that, right? There might be, some people might think we you know, need to redo the clubhouse. Other people may think it's just fine the way it is, but we have to go by whatever majority rules and you have to not be a sore sport. If you're in the minority on an issue, you have to just move on. And that's a skill set that you have to understand and live by when you're serving on a board. You're not always going to get your way. And you know it doesn't mean you can't reintroduce the topic next year but for now you've been voted down on something. Watch out for bullying on a board. I have seen it, it's infrequent, but you know, sometimes when we have board member conflict, there is some bullying going on at a board meeting or outside of a board meeting where a board member is very aggressive and mean spirited at the meeting towards other board members, or maybe they're even doing it via email or phone calls after the meeting. Um, that should not be tolerated. You can deal with that. It's a violation of the code of conduct and a censure could be voted on and instituted by the board at a board meeting. Let's see. So we talked a little bit about how to deal with difficult owners at a board meeting, how to deal with them outside of a board meeting. Generally speaking, I don't really get into it with difficult owners outside of a meeting. My standard answer would be come to the meeting. I think that's... We, we want to hear from you. I understand your concerns. If you can give them a quick answer, like when is the pool going to be resurfaced, do it then, of course. But if it's going to be something that is going to be more intense, you know, have them come to the meeting to talk about it. We talked about how to deal with board-to-board conflicts, making sure everybody's feeling heard at meetings, et cetera. Remember, you always have in your back pocket the tool Bring in your attorney. Like, let's say that you tried all these different things. We've let this person talk at the board meeting. The board member. We've tried to listen to them. We've, you know, we have a code of conduct. We tried the censure. It's not working. Bring in your attorney to help you manage the situation. Because of the volume of associations that we've worked with, I can tell you that I've seen just about every situation in twenty-five years, plus twenty-five plus years that I've been practicing law only focusing on this area, representing associations. So I have dealt with a lot of difficult board members. I've dealt with a lot of difficult owners. And I will ask you probing questions to find out more about the person, to try to better understand what's bothering them, better understand their personality type in an effort to help you make the situation go away or to make the situation better. So remember your legal counsel is your partner to help you navigate the situation if you have a really difficult homeowner that you don't know what to do with or a really difficult board member that's hindering the process. One thing I'm gonna mention because this comes up sometimes too, what do we do if the difficult person's the president, right? That's a really hard situation. You know, look at your bylaws. If a majority of the board agrees with you, you might be able to dethrone, take away the presidency from that board member I would give that person some warnings before you do that, because if you vote as a board, which most bylaws allow you to do to take away their officer title, they're going to be unhappy about it. In some cases, I even see them quit the board altogether. But they might just sit on the board and cause more problems as a director at large. And so that's, you know, an option. Talk about it with your attorney. If the president is the difficult person and they're the gatekeeper to the attorney, Think about coming to our first Fridays, right? The first Friday of every month from 9 to 10 a.m., you can, as a board member or manager, or even as a homeowner, you can ask a question. And that would be a good time to ask a question, like, hey, how do I deal with this? We'll be there to help you come up with solutions. What do we do if this difficult homeowner or maybe even a difficult board member is harassing? Now it's turning into harassment. So what exactly is harassment? There's different definitions out there. If you go by Black's Law Dictionary, it's going to be words, gestures, or actions, which tend to annoy, alarm, or abuse another person. If we go to Arizona law, there's a specific statute on this, Arizona law, that is 12-1809. Harassment is defined under Arizona law as a series of acts over any period of time that is directed at a specific person and that would cause a reasonable person to be seriously alarmed, annoyed, or harassed. And the conduct, in fact, seriously alarms, annoys, or harasses the person and serves no legitimate purpose. And so let's talk a little bit about how do we stop harassment? So if somebody is harassing you, I've got a really good example of this. Um, When I was the president of my association, I had another board member in my association who was so irrational and was harassing me as the board member and they sent me like in a period of three or four months like over 300 emails on different things and it was it was frustrating and upsetting because this person would either they didn't really understand things like the financial statements and they'd raise like an issue that was really a non issue and I'd spend you know a bunch of time explaining it and saying you know this is really what you're saying is not accurate and here's why And I finally explained it to the person. And then what would they do? They would turn around and come up with a totally new issue that was going to take a bunch of my time to go dig up the records, explain. And then they this person just continued to do this for like five months. And it was very frustrating and really led to severe burnout of me as president. So I get that if you have that on the board, or maybe even have a homeowner who's doing that. So one of the things on this type of harassment is it may not rise to the level that it's actionable under Arizona law. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But how do we stop this harassment? First, tell the individual to verbally stop. I don't know if they might be doing it in person or leaving a message or sending emails. So just say, hey, the number of emails you're sending me is unacceptable. You know, if you want to contact me, just send me one email a week. What I will accept as the president of the association or the board will only accept this then start keeping a record of what they're doing. How many times they're emailing you? How many times they're you know stopping you when you're walking your dog? How many times they're leaving messages for you? So start to document the harassment. Note what you do each time that they you know, send you a letter or email or whatever. And then keep everything. Keep a copy of the emails. Don't delete them. Step two, if the harassment isn't stopping... Have the board or the management company write a letter to the offending individual and it's not a threatening letter. It's just basically saying, here's the behavior that we've documented. This is unacceptable and it needs to stop. I mean, if it's really bad behavior, you may add on and if it doesn't stop, legal action will be taken. Maybe this letter is sent by the board, maybe with the manager, maybe by the association's attorney, depending on the severity of the threats and the harassment. You know, the next step is, under Arizona law, can we get an injunction to stop them from harassing me? And this is where it gets a little tricky, because under Arizona law, and you want to look at ARS 12-1809, which is the statute that defines this, if somebody's on the receiving end of endless abusive telephone calls or who's regularly assaulted verbally in public by an angry owner, you know, we may be able to get an order from a justice court in Arizona, remaining that the person stay a certain number of feet away from you. But I'm gonna tell you from experience and working in this industry for 25 plus years, these injunctions are hard to get from the justice courts in Arizona. And basically they don't issue them lightly. So in most cases, the harassing actions must be a part of a pattern and it can't just be an isolated incident. And the targeted person, whoever's on the receiving end of the harassment, has to feel threatened by these actions. And if you're dealing with like actual physical threats, like a voicemail saying, I'm coming to the management company and I'm going to take everybody out, or you'll be sorry, or if you do that again, I'll make your life very difficult, or you know, something that's just kind of like a veiled thread, these are things that you need to document they may or may not rise to the level of harassment. So if there's actual physical threats that a judge would read it and say, yes, I think that based upon this, this person has threatened you and it's normal behavior, excuse me, that you feel threatened by this. The court is going to look at, is it a pattern? Is it just a one-time thing? Have you filed a police report to help you document what's been happening with this owner? And so if you think these threats are real, going to the justice court and filling out injunction prohibiting harassment is something that you can do. It needs to be an actual threat of harm or there actually has to be like a pushing or a shoving or a physical threat of harm. If you also may want to document this with getting a police report and having the police fill out a report with further written documentation of what happened, the court will look at all the facts and they will determine whether or not an injunction prohibiting harassment should be issued in this matter. And if they do, then the owner can get a piece of paper that says that board member can get a piece of paper saying that this owner needs to stay 50 feet away from you. We've seen this unfortunately with boards where board members may get it against each other. One of the board members, the one that has the injunction against him probably is gonna have to go to the meetings by Zoom now and not in person because of that 50 feet away from each other order. If it's a homeowner-to-owner situation, same thing. Somebody's going to have to come to the meeting by Zoom so that we keep the physical distance that's required by the court order. Anybody who has an injunction that's issued against them, they have a right to a hearing. So you need to know that after the person is served with the injunction, um, a process server has to serve it, the person who's asking for the injunction has to pay to have the process server serve that. Whoever's having the injunction against them can ask for a hearing, and then the judge will call all the parties back. There'll be a hearing, just like a full-blown trial, where the evidence will be reevaluated. The person that has the injunction against them will have an opportunity to state their side of the story. And then the judge is going to have to make a final decision as to whether or not the injunction stands or not. I've been to a number of those hearings over the years. I can tell you with absolute certainty that those hearings are always psycho. I'm sorry to say it that way, but it's just the truth. There is always an element of yelling, screaming. You have to come to that hearing ready. You have to have a police report. You have to have that documentation that I was talking about. You have to have witnesses and expect that the other side is going to get up and they're going to tell a different story. So You need to be ready to counter whatever they're going to say, whether it's true or untrue. And the judge is just going to have to decide who's telling the truth. So these hearings are not easy. Getting an injunction is not an easy process, but it is an effective tool If you have somebody that's repeatedly harassing you, you feel like there's a threat of physical harm to you or there's been actual physical harm. And it's a a tool that you should keep in your toolbox in case you see that in the future. Okay, let's talk a little bit about two final subjects and then we're going to go right into the questions. So I have a great cheat sheet on DISC personality testing. So it's D-I-S-C And um, we're going to be sharing that with you. It's a personal assessment tool that discusses people's behavioral differences based on their personality types. And why I want to share this with you is because if we better understand what makes people tick and we understand what their strengths and weaknesses are, we may be able to work better with them. So sometimes when I see a level of dysfunction on the board, I'll recommend that everybody read this cheat sheet that talks about what, what are the differences. And it's kind of a fun cheat sheet to read. It talks about the four different personality types. It tells you where you can go to get a free test. It tells you famous people what their personality types are. And it tells you what their strengths and weaknesses are. And so if everybody shares what their DISC personality type is, you can better understand the person in this setting of the association. So for example, I'm the S personality type. I am not the type of person that likes to make a decision fast without all the facts. But I'm not that person that holds up decision making, like a C personality type is needs to like look at the facts like 18 times over. I'm not that person. I just need to read the facts, understand the issue, understand the solutions, and then I can make a decision. I mean, I hate to say it like this, but like the D personality type, they make a decision quick because they just want to get it done. They have like a task list that they want to get done and they don't like sitting at a meeting for a long time. And the problem with the D is that the S's and the C types get upset because they're trying to push us to make a decision and we don't have enough facts. But a D is a good person to have on the board because they keep things moving, right? And keeps the meeting shorter. And S is a good person because it's kind of a good balance. It's not quick of a decision. It's not too long of a decision. It's just kind of a rational, reasonable approach. The eyes are usually the very high social types, get along with everybody very well, good team builders. They are going to want everybody to get along. So that's a good little skill set to have at the board meeting because when they see something, the train going off the tracks, they're going to try to bring everybody back together as a team. Um, And so if you better understand, you might better understand what you need to do to fix problems. Because if you have a board that's filled with all C's, guess what? You may not get a lot done because it might be paralysis by analysis. If you have a D board, all D's, you know, you might be making, getting a lot of things done, task list, check, 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 but you might be making mistakes along the way on some of the things because you didn't fully evaluate it. So remember, a board that's filled with the perfect combo of all personality types is the ideal personality type board that you want to get things done. So just take a look at that. It's kind of a fun read and it really does work. I mean, I I go to board meetings all the time. And I'm gonna tell you right now, when I walk into the board meeting, in my mind, I'm trying to figure out what personality types I'm dealing with at the table, especially if somebody's really vocal. Upset and angry. I'm trying to ask them some probing questions to figure out what their personality type is. And then I'm tailoring my response to best fit their personality response. So I get them to buy back into the group and, and get along. And so it's a really good skill set, especially um, if your board's having problems. Okay, last topic I'm going to talk about is mental illness and associations. You know, since the pandemic, We have definitely seen a rise in the number of mental illness cases. We've also seen a number of hoarder cases where we have hoarders that are becoming problematic in a community. We have some different cheat sheets and we have some different blog articles that we've written on this that we're going to be sharing with you. You can also find them on our website. But remember, if you are dealing with somebody with mental illness... It could be many different forms of mental illness. You may not even be aware because maybe they present themselves in a way that you, there's something that's not quite right, but you can't quite put your finger on it. Um, so listen to this person. Investigate what the allegations are. It's a neighbors making complaints about a person. See what the board can do to help the situation. Talk with your trusted advisors, your attorney, your management company, your insurance agent, possibly. Maybe reach out to the Neighborhood Services Department in your city and see if they have any resources that they can give you to help manage this situation. Also, our last topic is going to be hoarders. We're going to be sharing with you something that we've written on this in the past, and it's kind of a deep dive on how to handle hoarders. But that in and of itself could be um, a good example of a difficult owner situation in the association. Some real quick tips on the hoarders. We have to enforce the governing documents against them. Um, We cannot ignore the situation because the hoarding situation never gets better. It always continues to progressively get worse and affect the neighborhood and affect the association indirectly. And so reach out to your trusted advisors, send letters to the owner who is the hoarder or if it's a tenant, send it to the owner who is managing the tenant. Consider filing a lawsuit if we need to. This may be the one time that we really do need a court intervention To get the hoarder to stop doing whatever they're doing because it's creating a danger in your community. Remember that, you know, whatever the hoarder situation is, it is a mental illness. And trying to help that owner um, or find a program or find a community service that might be able to help them is a possible step in the right direction. You know, we don't want to just go straight to a lawsuit. There are different programs in the state and with your respective cities that might be able to help you with this situation. Okay, it looks like we have a healthy number of questions today. We've got about 20 questions. Just going to do a quick time check. It's 12.05. So we'll just dig right into the questions. Okay, first question. Is an individual board member legally required to be named on the association's liquor license? As a newly elected board member, do I have the right to refuse to be named on the association's liquor license? This is not disclosed in our association documents, nor was it mentioned during the candidate interview process. I, in in a prior life of mine, I worked for Miller Brewing Company in their legal department as a law clerk. And I do know that there are state by state, every state has a different liquor laws. And I have heard this requirement before from other associations. I guess what I would wanna do is find out who is requiring this. Is it the state? And is it mandatory that all board members be on it? Um, These would be questions that I would ask if I were you. And is there, you know, of course you can refuse, I mean, you have rights as a board member, but is that going to jeopardize the association's liquor license would be the questions that I would have. And so I don't know the specific answer on this one because I don't know enough about your liquor license. I don't know enough about the situation, but these are all questions that I would be asking as a board member. And you can talk to your legal counsel about this. Um, I'm, I'm guessing they're probably already involved in this as well. Okay, next question. If four officers of a nine officer board are meeting to set a meeting agenda, but if they in fact make decisions impacting the operations of the condo association, is that a violation of the open meeting law? So four out of nine board members is not a quorum of the board. Um, and so if they're meeting, they that's a loophole in the open meeting law, less than a quorum can meet to discuss association business. Where it becomes problematic is if they're making decisions that should be board decisions. And those board decisions need to be made for meeting of the members with a quorum by a majority vote of the owners. So I don't know enough about the facts of this situation. I don't know if they're making it at this less than quorum meeting, but decisions regarding the community need to be made at an open board meeting by a quorum of the board, You know, majority of a quorum of the board. Number three. Barring a suit for breach of duty, can a board recommend to its owners that a rogue director be recalled? Oh, this is a difficult situation. Board recalls. As a matter of fact, we were just kind of talking internally as a board. I think we had a lot of questions on board recalls recently at a class I taught online. Well, first, if you want information about how to recall your board, we have blog articles on this on our website. By recall, I mean it would be um, like remove your board from office. We also have number six on our top 10 things you need to know about community association law. Cheat sheet, number six is how to remove a board member from office. Get involved in recommending to its owners that a rogue, rogue director be recalled. I really am not in favor of the board being the spearhead on this. There's nothing in the law that says that the board can't do this, but it seems unfair on a number of different levels because the board is using its resources to remove that director from office. And that could be considered a breach of their fiduciary responsibility to the corporation. On the flip side, it could be considered a breach if they don't do it, if this person is really a problem and you know maybe they're stealing money from the association or something, I don't know. Um, So I think that can be argued both ways. But from my perspective, I don't like seeing a board teaming up on another board member to try to get them removed. If we have a board member that's not doing a good job, you follow the procedure under the law. And the procedure under the law is that there's a petition that is circulated to the membership. And it's fine if the board members want to sign that, that they certainly have the right to do that. You know, if the board members are taking that door to door, they shouldn't be doing it in their board member capacity. They should be saying, clearly, I, I'm doing this as a homeowner, not as a board member. Although it would be best if it was other homeowners doing it and not the board members. And you just need to follow the procedure under Arizona law. I don't think the board should get involved in recommending. And I honestly, I think it's best if the board stay away from being the spearhead the leader on a recall of another board member. But of course they can sign the petition, they can vote yes as a homeowner to remove the person that's all within your rights. Okay, question number four, what can a homeowner do when their HOA isn't notifying members of any board meetings? We are being told there haven't been any board meetings. However, we had a special meeting to vote on a special assessment that homeowners had no information about. What is the best way to handle a board of directors that is being rude to you at a meeting or calling you names? Okay. I'm seeing a lot of problems with this board. Three different problems here. So number one, all boards have to have board meetings, right? You're required at a minimum to have an annual meeting every year. But usually in your bylaws, you have to have regular board meetings to conduct your association's business. Under Arizona law, under the open meeting law, we have to give 48 hours notice of any board meeting. So your board should be properly noticing the meeting and conducting regular board meetings each month or quarterly to conduct business. They had to have some sort of a discussion because they sent out a ballot on a special meeting, right? There had to be a quorum of the board discussing that and then a majority agreeing to send out a ballot. So it appears that there may be some violations of the open meeting law by your board. What's the best way to handle a board being rude or calling you names? I wish I had kind of covered this a little more in my presentations. I'm so glad you brought this up. Okay, what are your options if you're an owner and you're dealing with a difficult board? Well, first document your concerns. So if you've been treated poorly, do a short, concise letter just saying that you know what happened and why you feel that this was not appropriate behavior. Then consider the removal petition that we just talked about, right? a removal petition. Consider running for the board yourself. You know, these are all different things you can do. Hire a lawyer to write a letter for you. Hire a lawyer to file a lawsuit go to the Arizona Department of Real Estate, file a petition. There's lots of different options you have if you feel your board is not acting appropriately. Now, them being rude or calling you names, probably not rising to the level of going to the ADRE or filing a lawsuit. But if that in conjunction with them, you know, violating your documents, then it's crossing over into that territory. Okay, next question. Um, Number five, can a board meet without notice? and decide to give a long-term serving board member that is moving a $100 gift and ask me, the association manager, to write her a direct check to pay for the gift. How do I handle this? Oh, that's a sticky situation for you as a manager. Okay, number one, this is not a good idea. So A, the board violated the open meeting law by meeting, discussing this, you know, and deciding to do it outside of a board meeting, then they're asking you to write a personal check, which is totally inappropriate. The manager should never be intervening like this, writing a personal check that is just on its face wrong. Any association expenditure should be from the association's bank accounts. Asking the manager to do this, something that already is something I would never recommend doing is just uncomfortable and not a good situation. Even giving gifts to board members when they leave, it's just not a good idea because unless it's in your documents that you have the right to do that, you just don't do that. When you serve on the board, you know it's a thankless job. You're not going to be getting gift cards. You probably have some homeowners who won't like you at the end of your term. It's not you know something that you come out of with a big influx of gift cards and new friends and you know unfortunately it's not. And so I would advise against using association funds for this type of a gift card. I mean, I just know on my board, if we have something where we want to do something nice, like we've had a board member's relative pass away or they're sick, the board members just throw in the money themselves and send flowers to the person. Um, We're not using association funds for that. So how do you as a board member, as a manager, handle this? I think you just say that I unfortunately my code of ethics doesn't allow me to do this. you know. And if the board's giving you pushback on it, go higher up in your management company and get support um, for them to support you that you can't do this. Okay, next question, number six. We are a planned community. We just established a maintenance chart because for about 30 years, the HOA was maintaining decks, windows, fences. Now the chart clearly states that homeowners are responsible for maintaining their unit. your townhomes. We have a homeowner that has foundation issues that the inspector found before he purchased the unit. 18 years ago, the HOA repaired the foundation in this unit. Now he wants the HOA to pay for the repairs again. I think this person plans to sue the HOA. Are we responsible for repairs to the foundation? I think this person is going to sue for the HOA to repair. Really hard for me to answer this question um, because I need to see your CC&Rs to see what are the HOA responsibilities in your planned community and what are the owner responsibilities? You say you're a planned community, although you also say unit, which is consistent with condo, townhomes, and either be a planned community or condominium, depending on who owns the common areas. So I'm really mixed up and confused about what you actually might be. Look at the sections in your documents on maintenance. So what is the owner responsible to maintain? What is the association responsible to maintain? Talk with your attorney, have your attorney weigh weigh in on this. If the owner is threatening to sue the association, you need to put your insurance carrier on notice of a possible claim as the board. Hopefully, once you look at the documents, it'll be crystal clear who's responsible for what, and you can respond back with the written documentation showing the owner this is, who's responsible for maintaining it. Just because you may have done it in the past doesn't mean you have to do it this time. Okay. Number seven, we're getting a lot of questions on open meeting law. Maybe that's a sign to me that we need to do a class on this. We have a board member who insists that all board discussions are done via email. Um, Oops, I'm sorry. We have a board member who insists that all board discussions that are done via email violate the open meeting law. Is that true? I mean, it really just depends. I don't know what you're voting on Um, You have to be really careful as a board on making decisions by email that really should be done during a properly noticed open board meeting where a quorum of the board is present. The purpose of the open meeting law is so that owners can listen and participate when the board's making decisions. And if you're doing these decisions by email, it could be a violation of the open meeting law. So we have a great cheat sheet on the open meeting law that I want you to take a look at. I think we also have some blogs on our website on using email. To make decisions. One time you can use email is if there's an emergency and you can't wait 48 hours to make a decision. There would be an exception to make an emergency decision by email. You would need to include the minutes of that emergency meeting or the emails where, whenever action is taken, like, you know, to contact the insurance about the fire at the clubhouse, that's going to be an emergency typically. You would keep those emails where everybody voted to contact the insurance company and make a claim. And then at the next board meeting, you read into the record what was decided. Now, I, I'm a realist here, and I know that some boards, including my own, sometimes are making decisions by email quickly. And so be careful on that, because what you really need to have is a paper trail that you've made these decisions. So at the next board meeting, after the meeting that you may have made a decision by email, reaffirm that decision In the board meeting minutes so that there's proof that this was discussed and voted on at an open board meeting. Next question, number eight, if the board has one seat available for re-election at this time and no one is running except the person who currently holds the spot, is it necessary to hold an election even if there is no opponent running? So short answer, yes. Your documents do require us to have an election every year. Question nine, what is the purpose of a board of directors requesting formal member approval of the association's 2022 annual financial statements and the 2023 budget. I It just depends. If you're a condominium, you may have a requirement under your documents to have the owners approve the budget and the financial statement. Maybe they're just doing it because they want to get homeowner input. I, I don't know what the purpose of your specific association is. I do know if you're a condo and that's a requirement in your documents, you are required to do it. Maybe they just are doing it to get feedback. I don't know. Okay, number 10, usually the board just, you know, votes on the budget um, unless the documents require homeowner to vote on, homeowners to vote on it. Next question, number 10, is the bill on political activity applicable for HOA board elections only or real elections and campaigns or both? You know, that's a really good question. I'm going to have my office cut and paste that um, law in there, and then I'll come back to that at the end so I can take a closer look at it. Okay, number 11. And remember, that bill is hasn't been signed by the governor just yet. Okay, question number 11. What is the recourse when the board president and the management company do not hold regular and annual meetings in violation of the governing documents and the management company contract. They do not invite all homeowners and they refuse to conduct Zoom meetings. Boy, I'm hearing that a lot today on this class. People not complying with the open meeting law. Okay. A, what's the recourse? So document in writing first, document your concerns in writing. So there's a paper trail. You can go to the Department of Real Estate and file a a complaint or petition, whatever, with the Arizona Department of Real Estate, and then you can go in front of an administrative law judge, and the judge will rule that you know they're violating the law and your documents by not doing this. Another thing, recourse would be to hire an attorney, demand that the you know the attorney demands in the letter that you need to conduct this and why. You could file a lawsuit. You know you can run for the board. You can have the board removed. These are all different options that you have. They don't have to have Zoom meetings. Just You need to hear that from me. They do have to have meetings, though, or properly noticed. Most of our clients have switched now and are doing Zoom board meetings. Some are doing some in-person, some Zoom. But very few are doing only in-person with no Zoom. Next question, number 12. What can we do about a board member that leaks information through his wife to the community and spreads wrong information to stir up the pot in our community? Ooh, that's bad. Okay, so a couple of things. The code of conduct that I talked about earlier in this presentation is a great tool because in the code of conduct, it talks about the duty of confidentiality and that will make all the owners sign it. If I were handling this situation, I would bring that to the board Ask all board members to sign it. I would raise the issue with the owner or the board member that is leaking the information or that we think is leaking the information. I would hit it straight on with that person and say, We're hearing feedback that this is happening. What's going on? Hear what they say. They may say, I'm not telling my wife anything, but my wife is Mrs. Kravitz, you know, the person from BeWitch who's in everybody's business. You know, then we may need to talk to the board member about, well, this is, you know, causing harm to our association please ask her to stop doing that. What can you do if the board member is, is actually really doing this and he's in cahoots with his wife? We go through the same process. You can go to the Department of Real Estate. We can have the attorney for the association write the board member a letter. We can file a lawsuit. We can remove the director from office. You know, Those are all the different options that we have. Question 13, as a previous six-year board member, the board said yesterday in our board meeting that I could not serve on a committee because I did not attend the last social event in February. How do I address that calmly? Well, maybe look at the documents. Does it say that you can't be on a committee if you don't attend a social event? I don't know. It depends. Maybe a majority of the board is making this decision and you're outvoted. I don't know the facts on this. I think what I would do is I would tell You know, just stay calmly back your your points on this. I've served on the board for six years. I love being on this committee. I'd like to continue serving on it. I'm not aware of anything under the law that says I can't serve on this. I'm not aware of anything under documents that says I can't. So I just would like a reason why you're not having me be on the committee and then see what they say. Okay, next question. President yells to the treasurer, you are not going to approve invoices, sign contracts, and communicate with the property management company. I am going to be the only one approving payments, signed contracts, and communicate with property management during the board meeting. And the rest of the board members, three of them, don't say anything. How do I handle this situation? Well, I'm seeing some intra board fighting in this, some of the questions here today. I mean, I think it's kind of like the same thing as the last question with the committee, not being asked to be on the committee. Be calm, be rational, get out the bylaws, and show them what the responsibilities are of the treasurer. The treasurer has direct responsibilities for financial affairs of the association. So approving invoices appears to be right up your ballywick. Signing contracts, I mean, as a board member, you know, you approve a contract is one of many votes on the board. Signing the contracts, it depends who has that right to do it under your documents, your bylaws. Typically, the president does sign the contracts, communicate with the property management, I mean, usually all board members have direct access to property management unless one of the board members is a problem. And so that just needs to be discussed as your board, how that's gonna be handled. Okay, number 15, what is the state requirement for mailing out notices for violations and ARC approvals or denials? I have a great cheat sheet on this topic. It's on enforcement of governing documents. I also have a good cheat sheet on architectural review. Look at your documents too do your documents have a time period that you have to respond to deny an application or to approve an application? If there is a violation of somebody is painted their house the wrong color without getting approval, we're going to want to follow the requirements under state law. We, We suggest that in the initial contact with the owner, you know, you list the whole categories of information, such as who saw the violation, who witnessed it, what section is being violated, what our remedies are, et cetera, they're all listed in that cheat sheet. So I encourage you to take a look at that. Okay, we are down to about, well, let's see, some questions have been added. So we we are currently on question number 16 and we have 24 questions. Okay, how does the HOA deal with neighborhood cats? Some residents put their cat out for the night and the cats roam the hood. Several cats have been recorded on our security cameras that have come into our front porch and backyard. What's irritating is the marking and spraying of their scent. I do not know if they're abandoned, feral, or otherwise. What is your recommendation? Well, cats usually come around looking for food. So make sure that you don't have like a dog bowl out or water, because that may be why they're coming to your property. If you know that the cats belong to a certain resident, like you can tell, oh, this is so and so's cat based upon appearances, you know, you may want to contact that owner as a board and say, we we don't allow cats to be roaming in our property. Hopefully you have a rule on that. My recommendation would be reach out to the owners that the cats belong to um, and ask them not to allow this. If it's feral cats, you know, you have to check with, you know, your local humane society, um, sometimes feral cats can be a good thing because they kill the rats and the mice. So some associations are okay with that. But if there's somebody putting out food for them, they're never going to leave. So maybe that's the way to solve the problem. They go where the food is. So maybe a violation to letter such as somebody on the food, maybe bringing in Humane Society to get some advice are all some different recommendations. Question number 17, what can homeowners do? When the board just gives lip service to many issues, but nothing actually ever gets done, accomplished, or addressed. Just so you know, that is the biggest complaint of both board members and homeowners regarding their association. Our board also does not hold management company accountable for anything. So nothing gets done via that avenue either. Okay, so what can you what can homeowners do? You can run for the board, you can remove the board. You can start documenting your concerns regarding nothing ever getting done. You can start documenting your concerns that the management company isn't doing their job. These are all different things that you can do to make this situation better. Okay, question number 18. In regards to harassment, I've documented three incidents where I believe our property manager has been doing the harassing. What can be done? I don't know if you're a homeowner or a board member. So, I mean, obviously it's a concern that you think the property manager is harassing you or somebody else, document your concerns to the board. Document your concerns to the management company and the president of the management company would be what I would do as a starting point. Question number 19, I am a board member and outgoing board president. While president, my term as indicated above ended last month. I indicated to the entire board best practices is for one hour or less board meeting duration. What would you say to a fellow board member who is secretary, treasurer, who is dedicated, engaged, detail-oriented, and offers extensive and detailed comments on everything on the agenda? Approval of the minutes can take up to 10 minutes due to this approach, and therefore regular monthly board meetings routinely extend beyond two hours. Okay, two things. Look at our cheat sheet on board meetings. We give you tips on how to have a board meeting in an hour or less. You as the president, Or outgoing president, whoever's gonna be the new president, you set the agenda, you set the tone for the meetings. If you have an agenda that has timed increments on it, like establishment of quorum, 7 p.m., 7.01 to 7.05, approval of last month's meeting minutes, 705 to 7.10, manager's report, 710 to 720, president's report, 720 to 730, treasurer's report. And the president keeps us on this timed agenda. And if you can't make a decision on the meeting minutes, then you just move to next month and you look at this issue again. I mean, you have to control the person on your board who is a detail mutt. Like remember we just talked about this on the D the DISC personality sheet, right? The cheat sheet. That secretary that you have is probably a C personality type and like I said they're the high detail. They want to analyze and overanalyze and talk through and re-talk through. Now those people can be great members of your board. And it sounds like this person is currently serving as a treasurer. We need a detailed person there because we need to be looking at the bank statements. We need to be carefully analyzing the invoices when we're paying bills, but there's ways to manage that person. Go to my cheat sheet, look at what the best way, the strengths and the weaknesses of a C. Some things that I would do if somebody was making my meeting that long is I would say, since you seem to have a lot of comments on the minutes coming into the meeting, I want those comments already be listed on in the manager's packet, so that we already have them. So you got to get those comments well in advance to the manager, so that those can be included. So you're cutting out the time right there for all the comments that they're making. They're already there. Everybody can read them in thirty seconds or less. And if this person is like a showboat, sometimes you get showboat people where they're lonely and they come to the meeting. They want attention and adulation or whatever, you just have to deal with that, you know, and stay on task. If they're making the meeting longer, then put time limitations on how long people can comment on things as board members. No board should have to have a meeting that is an hour or more if they don't want to. There are plenty of ways to do that. So look at that cheat sheet. We give you a lot of good tips. Okay. The next question is question number 20. Are you aware of any cities that offer process for resolving disputes between or among homeowners? There are a couple of cities that have like mediation department. And so what I would do is recommend that you Google the city that you live in and um, Google like whatever the city is, ABC city and neighborhood services or city name and mediation and find out if your city has that type of a service or call the general information line for your city and ask that question or ask for the Neighborhood Services Department. They should be able to answer that for you. Question 21, what is the board's role in mediating disputes between homeowners that transcend HOA rules and regulations? Our board keeps getting dragged in, in, and it's not clear our role legally and or practically. So there's a dispute between homeowners, like a Hatfield and McCoy type dispute between neighbors. And I think that's what you mean by transcend our rules and rights, And we keep getting dragged in. So get your attorney involved because, you know, we want to make sure that it's not something we need to be involved in. It's not like a fair housing issue where somebody is discriminating against a neighbor because we might have to get involved in that. If it's truly just a have Field and McCoy type thing, you know, and I don't know, there might be, it might be dog barking. That might be something we have to get involved in. So look at what the complaints are and then get some advice from your trusted advisors. Hey, is this an association issue or is this an owner issue? If it's an owner issue, we write a letter to both owners and say, you know, we received complaints from both sides or one side. We just want to let you know this is not an association issue. Okay. um, The next question is, we are 55 and over community and we have a homeowner, we believe has a grandson under 10 living with her. We have approached her, but she denies he's living with her over and over. He's been spotting only entering and exiting the home. What can we do as she is non-compliant with our HOA documents? So just because this person is entering and exiting the home, this 10-year-old, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's living with her unless the person is there all the time and you see them going to school every morning and then coming home from school and they don't leave. You know, so I'd have to know a little bit more on the facts, but maybe you need to get your attorney involved to write this owner a letter to find out more information about who's living with her and how often this resident is there. Would be my probably my suggestion since she's denying it. And then I'd also want to hear what evidence you have that this child is living there full time. And it, sometimes you you have a situation where they're just there for 30 days or 60 days. There's a health problem or something with parents. Listen and get advice from your legal counsel as to how to best manage that. Okay, question number twenty three. Our HOA board amendment of the CCNRs was voted down several months ago. On the unsecured website, we have the board has not taken down the six documents that were failed CCNR amendments. I've asked the board member in charge to take down these documents. He's refused, has, and he has not taken this decision to the board. He makes it on his own. How do I handle? Well, I'd write the board and the management company and just say, well, because this particular owner, because this particular amendment didn't pass, it's not appropriate that it's still on the website. Okay, let's see here. I'm going to go back to question number 23. HOA boards, let's see, question number 24. What is the difference in authority between a board president and the other board roles? Um, So we have a great cheat sheet on the president and vice president and other board member roles. Um, We also have a cheat sheet on board member roles and responsibilities. So what you need to do for your association, I want you to look at both of those. We're going to be sharing them. What you need to do is look at your bylaws for your association. The bylaws for your association will state what the specific responsibility and authority is of the board president. And the bylaws under the officer section will also state what the other officer's responsibilities are. The next question is number 25. What do we do if HOA management is not posting meeting minutes at all, or if the minutes are only posted in draft form? Well, they're not required to post meeting minutes at all. So what you could do is ask them to start posting them because owners want more information. You could ask for a copy of them. And then you could post it if they'll let you. But it's not a requirement under the law to do that. It's best practices, of course. We always want management companies and managers to send out the meeting minutes to everybody. But it's not required under the law unless it's required under your documents, which would be kind of unusual. Okay, so I am going to go back to um, that question that I said I wanted a little more information on. So on question 10... The question was, does the bill that's sitting on the governor's desk on political activity, does it apply only to HOA board elections or also real elections, meaning like city, state, federal elections, or both? Okay. So from the new part of the bill, um, it says it talks about a person who's not accompanied by a unit owner or resident of the condominium from entering. Okay. Let's see the association may not prohibit. Okay. So the floor amendment on this bill stated that an association may not prohibit door-to-door political activity, except they may prohibit a person who is not accompanied by a unit owner from entering the, the um, premises if the association restricts vehicle or pedestrian access. So this applies to of and planned committees. Okay. So this is kind of a weird statute. So it's under... It's varied in like the flag statute, right? And you have to go all the way down to political signs and political things. And I'm not sure it looks like the, the version that I got doesn't have the caps, which shows the changes. I think this is a, probably a really good blog article. But to answer your question, I, I don't have, unfortunately, this, the what was given to me isn't the, the version that shows what exactly was changed. So, I believe that it is based upon what the statute said last year. Let's start there first. Just looking at the statute very quickly. Okay. So, it says, notwithstanding any provision in the association's documents, an association shall not prohibit door-to-door political activity, including solicitations of support or opposition regarding candidates or ballot issues, and shall not prohibit circulating political petitions, including candidate nomination petitions, petitions in support or opposition of initiative, referendum or recall. Um, and so it appears that under this particular section that they are required to comply if the condominium, a condominium is not required to comply with this door-to-door access, if they restrict vehicular pedestrian access. It does not require a condominium to make its common elements other than roadways and sidewalks that are normally open to visitors available for the circulation of political petitions to anyone who is not an owner of the resident of the community. Okay. So I think this, this clarifies it. So if you are an association that does not restrict vehicular or pedestrian access, okay, so you don't have a gate or you don't have a keypad to get in, there's one analysis for that. And then there's another analysis... Or if you are one that restricts vehicular access. So if you have an association that restricts vehicular access, this law appears to indicate that, you know, there can be door to door solicitations on any one of these topics, whether they're HOA related or related to the political process. It's not HOA related. I think that was your main question. What you were asking for is, you know, does this apply to real elections, campaigns, or both? So if we go to subsection H, it doesn't you know, limit one or the other. So I think that owners can go door to door for association issues or non association issues. So if we go to, if you're just open streets where there's no gate prohibiting from people going through, associations cannot prohibit for people to go door to door if they want to regarding candidate petitions, initiatives, whatever. So it's just a slight distinction. And I honestly, like I said, I don't see this being a big issue in gated communities where owners are going door to door to talk about these issues. It might be if you've got a big issue in your community, but owners are always welcome to just say, I'm sorry, I'm not interested or not answer the door. And to be perfectly honest with you, this was already happening in associations that have a high controversy level. It was already happening. and probably what prompted this law, I guess, would be that Um, Somebody wanted to make sure it was codified that owners had the right to do this. Okay, so good clarification on that new law. Remember, it's sitting on the governor's desk and we'll be doing a full analysis in a really easy to understand format once we hear whether or not the governor has signed that new law. Okay, our conclusion for today we have some additional free learning opportunities, of course, throughout the rest of 2022. So be sure to be checking out our website for information on our ups- upcoming classes. Our website's at MulcahyLawFirm.com. We're going to be having our first Friday free call-in where I answer HOA and condo legal questions live. You can find additional informations on information on this first Friday on our website as well. And then don't forget, in May, we also have our sixth or fifth class of our virtual HOA condo academy. And the topic is going to be long-term planning for HOAs and condos. And we're going to be talking about finances, reserves, and one, five, 10, and 15-year planning for HOAs and condos. So I hope you'll join us for any of these learning opportunities that I've mentioned um, in the future. Don't forget to check out our website for the listing of classes and how to register. All these classes are virtual. And also to take a look at our cheat sheets and our videos of our our classes that we've taught. Thanks again for being here today. Um, I hope everybody has a great day and look forward to seeing you at future classes. Take care. Bye. Don't forget, our free cheat sheets are available for download at MulkeyLawFirm.com. The intent of our Zoom, Facebook Live, First Friday free call-in, videos, and podcast is to provide a forum for board members and community managers to receive answers to HOA and condo legal questions. Please note, the content in these sessions are general in nature and is not intended to and should not be relied upon or construed as legal opinion or legal advice regarding any specific issue or factual circumstance. You should directly consult with an attorney for advice regarding your individual situation.